One out of a hundred. Those are the statistics I was told. One out of a hundred listeners give. A generous donor gave Time of Grace $155,000 for a challenge grant. That means when you give a gift of any amount to Time of Grace during the month of August, it will be doubled. Now, I've been meeting a lot of you guys in person lately, and I think Little Things listeners are not the typical one out of a hundred. I think we're one out of five. In truth, I think we are one of a kind. And just so you know, I'm not asking you to do something that I don't also do. I love to give to Time of Grace especially when there's a matching challenge. So please consider making a contribution in August to Time of Grace. And if you do, make sure you tell them you listen to little things because I want to come back and let you guys know just how generous you were. Just go to timeofgrace.org. And remember, the money is going to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Today's episode is called Never Outgrow Your Need for God. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. Not sure how long it's been since you've been in the Proverbs, hopefully not that long, but Proverbs 30 gives us the wisdom of agar. And verse 8 and 9 have a prayer that have been especially meaningful to me. I love this chapter in the book of Proverbs because this prayer is incredibly wise and we have God's word to prove it. So I'm going to go back to the kings of Israel. I know we've done this before and I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but I do want to show you how it is really a temptation that godly people, when God blesses them, and they have all they need, they can become proud. And then they sometimes forget that they need God's help and that it was even God helping them that brought them to this place. So the second king of Israel was David. He was a great king by all means. He loved the Lord. He expanded Israel's borders. He made the nation the largest it ever would be. Solomon added a little bit of territory, but not through wars, but through alignments. And that was a totally different thing. David was a great warrior until he became lazy and didn't go to war that spring when he was lounging around the house and taking walks on his roof and looked down at Bathsheba and was led astray into sin. So here's a great man of great faith who did great, amazing things as long as he was walking with God and staying busy. But as soon as he took a break a little bit and let his guard down, boom, Satan tempted and he he fell and he fell hard. And there were repercussions for the rest of his life because of those actions. Solomon, his son, when he was young, God came to him and said, ask me for anything. And Solomon's heart's desire was that he would have the wisdom to govern the people that God put him in charge of. 
I mean, that is an amazing prayer. And I'm not sure what I would ask for if I was in that situation, but I'm not entirely sure I would ask for something as godly. I mean, basically, Solomon in humility was saying, God, you know what, I just want to serve you. And I want to serve your people. And so God not only gave him wisdom, but he gave him wealth and a long life. And Solomon, with this wisdom, (laughs) oh, he shows us sometimes you can be the wisest person alive, which Solomon was, there will never be anybody who's as wise as Solomon. And yet you can make such foolish mistakes. Because Solomon took many, many wives, a lot of them were alliances. He took them as part of, you know, making a treaty with a nation. And then that nation would give him, you know, the princess as a wife. And so he did it for the sake of peace. But the problem is that he allowed these women to come to Israel and still worship their gods from their nation. And in doing so, not only was he eventually led into idolatry, but the people of Israel were. So this man of great wisdom, who should have this great understanding, when he became wealthy and had all this power, man, he forgot who gave him that wealth and who gave him that power. And he forgot to honor God with his life and his adoration and his worship and to have only one God. (laughs) Commandment number one, no other gods. So go down a little bit. And Asa was a king of Judah. So after Solomon died and his son took over, the kingdom was torn in two. The upper part was called the kingdom of Israel. That was 10 tribes. And the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin became the kingdom of Judah. So Asa was this king of Judah the southern tribes, and he did amazing things. He got rid of all the idols. In fact, there's this neat statement in First Kings uh, 15, chapter uh, or verse 13, that his grandma put up an Asherah pole. So it was a pole that was dedicated to the god Asherah. And he deposed her from her position as the queen mother because she went to idolatry instead of staying true to God and his word. And so he got rid of her. So it doesn't matter if you were grandma or not. Like if you're going to follow idols, you're done. He had had these amazing reforms, anyone's wars. And early in his life, his prayer was even recorded in 2 Chronicles 14. He said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you and in your name. We have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So here he is facing this army and he goes to God and he's like, there is no one like you. I'm powerless against you, but you know, here I am, I'm defending your name, and I've come. And so Lord, don't let this army prevail against you. He saw who he was, he saw who God was, he relied on God, and he won a great victory. Fast forward. 
A few years later in his reign, the king of Israel, those are the northern tribes again, decided to secure Ramah, which was just north of Jerusalem. It was like on the outermost um, skirt of Judah's northern territory. So the king of Israel was trying to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa. And Asa heard about this. And instead of going to God, as he had done in the past... He sent money to the king of Aaron to come and rescue him. The king of Aram did, but God wasn't very happy. He sent a prophet to remind Asa, hey, you know what? Remember what happened when you turned to me? I helped you. Don't rely on a king. Rely on me. I'm God. But you know what Asa did? Yeah, he threw that prophet in prison. And as the years went by, it, it went from bad to worse. I think one of the saddest passages in the Bible is Second Chronicles 16, 12. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. What do you think God is trying to get us to take away from that passage? Because what I see as I read that is that God was waiting for Asa to turn to him. And just as he hadn't turned to him when the king of Israel attacked or made a move on Ramah, so Asa only depended on worldly advice. And because of that, he wasn't healed. He forgot the Lord, the very person that he was defending in the early part of his reign. But God gave him this great victory. And then it was like he forgot. Joash was another king. He was seven years old when he became king, and he was under the influence of Jehoiada the priest. So Jehoiada was a wonderful, God-fearing man who took Joash under his care and together they did amazing things. They kept the people walking with the Lord and Jehoiada, he died at a ripe old age. I think it was 130 years old or so. But as soon as Jehoiada died, Joash and the people of Judah, they refused to listen to the prophets. They fell into sin. They fell into idolatry and Joash even killed Jehoiada's son. When he came to him and said, hey, you've got to turn. This isn't okay. So here this king had had lived this godly life as long as he had the right influence in his life. But as soon as Jehoiada was gone, Joash walked away. Uzziah was this godly king. In fact, we're told in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So Uzziah was seeking the Lord. He was seeking his help. He knew where his help came from. God gave him success. But just a few verses down in verse 16, we hear, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. The priest came and confronted him because it wasn't the king's role to burn incense in the temple. That, that was the role of the priests. 
And the priest confronted him and said, don't do this. This isn't your job. Please stay away from the altar. Uzziah would not listen to them. And so God struck him with leprosy. And for the rest of his days, he lived in exclusion. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't even live in his palace anymore. He lived in a home away from everybody else. Hezekiah, this is the last one I'm going to talk about today. Hezekiah was this godly king too. He walked with the Lord. He made reforms. He faced huge enemies. And through prayer and humility, seeking God, God delivered him. Then he had this illness and God sent Isaiah to tell him, look, you're going to die. Get your house in order. But Hezekiah prayed. And God gave him 15 more years. And what happened? He became proud. Why do you think these examples are in the Bible? If I were to guess, this is what I'd guess. Very often we follow the Lord. And God, because he loves his children, he loves more than anything to bless us. He loves to give us success. He loves to give us stability. When we go to him and we have a need, he loves to answer our prayers. We're sick. We turn to him. He loves to grant us healing. We're in need of a job or a better job. We turn to him. He loves to give us opportunity. But as he does, our sinful nature struggles. And if our pride gets the best of us. We forget God gave us everything. We forget that it was God, not us, that gave us everything we have. God gave us the opportunities. God gave us the abilities. God gave us the health. God gave us the strength. If we forget the giver and see only the gifts and start thinking that we are really something, it is so easy, just like all of these kings, to forget, to forget that God has been instrumental in our life. And what happens? We can become lazy, like David. We become lazy and we are very content in our role as a Christian. You know, we go to church on Sundays We read our Bible now and then. We get together with a Christian friend here and there. But our passion is gone. We no longer go to the Bible studies. We no longer pray with all our heart. We no longer worry about the people in our life who don't know God. Because let's face it, that's their choice, right? Do we continue to seek the Lord when all is well? Do we study his word? Do we pray for the saints? Do we contend for those who are struggling or wayward or who don't know the Lord at all? Look at the Apostle Paul. He didn't put in, you know, five good years, then go find a villa somewhere to retire. Until his dying day, he did what he could. When he was in prison, he wrote and he prayed. When he was in chains, he taught the soldiers. As people came and went, he inquired of the churches. He advised, he prayed. We will have cushy days. 
all of eternity will be spent in a sinless atmosphere. The struggle will be over. But until then, can I suggest that we stay in the battle? Okay, so how do we do this? Well, first of all, if you are young, seek the Lord, get into the Bible, go to Bible studies, go to Bible studies at church, in your home, start a Bible study or in someone else's home, go to a men's Bible study or women's Bible study, listen to sermons. But let me just warn you, find godly people who walk with the Lord to listen to. If you don't have any idea who those people are, first off, let me suggest Pastor Mike. Okay, at Time of Grace, we we offer really great learning, podcasts, videos, all kinds of things. Don't just listen to any pastor because they're not always going to be rooted in the Bible and in the truth of the word. But let me tell you a couple other really good places to dig in the word and really learn. Teaching Sunday school is a great, great way to learn the Bible. Now, you don't have to teach. Even if you don't want to teach, if you just want to learn, I'm going to tell you about a really great curriculum. It's free. You can print it off from the internet and it's called God's Hands in Our Lives. It has teacher's notes for every lesson and it is solid commentary. So Werner Franzman is one of the Um, commentaries that they use, one of the pastors who has a commentary. It is a great curriculum for homeschooling or for family devotions or for Sunday school or just to learn the context and how this episode in the Bible fits into other episodes. It is fabulous. I've learned so much from using this curriculum. I was Sunday school superintendent for around 12 years at my church. And I found this curriculum early on, and it is the best I have found. And we used it the entire time I was Sunday school superintendent. And I believe that they're still using it. So look it up, God's hand in our lives, um, free Sunday school curriculum. It is amazing. And if you, I think it's a two years of the Old Testament, two years of the New Testament. And if you were to print off just the commentary, the teacher's notes on each lesson and take a lesson, you know, every couple days or even one lesson a week, it is amazing. And you would learn a ton about the Bible. The second resource that I think is phenomenal and you will learn so much from is called A Bible History from Concordia Publishing. It is a great and solid um, curriculum. It's what we use in my in my church for the catechism, Bible history students. So fifth through eighth grade, we go through um, two years of Old Testament and two years of New Testament Bible history. And again, this is like a workbook. And then there's also a teacher's guide that gives you the answers for the workbook. And what I really like about it, I do not actually use the Bible history book. So I use the workbook 
And I didn't even have the teacher's guide. But when I looked this up, I saw that there was a teacher's guide that gives you all the answers. What I love about the workbook is the curriculum itself. So it gives you where you can find each episode in the Bible. And then you go and then it has thoughtful questions. And it just is a really great um, way to get through the Bible. Now, I have a little warning. There are some lessons, like for instance, Job. When teaching the lesson of Job, it gives you the whole book of Job as the material that you're supposed to glean to, to answer these questions. I found that I used the first several, I think the first two or three chapters, and then I used the last three chapters, I think. Um, and we didn't get into everything else that the friends talked about. I had read the People's Bible Commentary and sort of just took out a couple passages about what each friend was saying about Job. So, I mean, um, it's if you were to buy the Bible history book that goes with the workbook, they summarize the book of Job. I actually like to get my kids into the Bible as I teach them. So if the lesson is Genesis 13 and 14, we're going through Abraham's life. We actually read Genesis 13 and 14 and uh, straight out of the Bible. And then we answer the questions. And I just found it to be a really, really great curriculum that takes you through a lot of the Bible. There's still a lot of the Bible that you don't read, but it is thought provoking. It gives you a, a good basic knowledge of what's going on, why this is happening, what this means in light of the plan of salvation, that type of thing. I've really enjoyed it. I also supplement it with things like maps and other things I find off the internet. And I also, like I said, I notoriously uh, read the people's Bible series of whatever I'm teaching because I, I find so many answers in there. So those are my suggestions for two really, really good ways to get into the word and learn a lot. And if you're older, so if you have done this, if you've taught Sunday school for years, if you've taught Bible history, or if you've taught women's Bible studies for years and years and years and years, can I encourage you to be actively involved in younger people's lives, just like the book of Titus tells us to? Encourage the younger people, build them up. Pray for them, contend for them, get young people in the word, tell them why it's important for them to be in the word, invite them to Bible study, whether it's the, you know, Bible study in between services at church, you know, as they're walking out, say, we are studying whatever it is, the book of Colossians right now. And we would love to have you in here. Listen to what I learned last week, get a seat for them. Ask if you can, you know, help them get a cup of coffee for them, whatever you can do to encourage the younger people to be in the word. And if you are even older than that, and you think, oh, no, there's, there's no way that I know. I, I think my time of serving is over. You know, I have been working in a nursing home for the last six months, and there are two people in particular, who I know that I can go to and they pray for me. And I am telling you, I have driven in dense, dense fog. I have been in icy weather. I have driven through snowstorms. And I know those women are praying me on. Not only that, but sometimes they just encourage me out of the blue. 
one day I came in and one of the women was reading her Bible and I asked what she was reading about and she was telling me and I just, it really encouraged me that day to hear her at the ripe old age of 97 years old in her Bible telling me the lesson she was learning, the encouragement she was getting. I was talking to a pastor's wife of a different church um, a few weeks, weeks back and she was telling me that her husband's mom had been put in the nursing home and how she found it her mission to pray for the workers, to be a testimony to those people who very often were unchurched. So she just knew that by her life, by her dialogue, she could maybe point them to God. We need to be staying in the battle all of our days. And we need to remember that the only reason we're still in the battle is because of our great need for God. Look, Satan would love to distract us and tell us, no, you don't. You've done enough. Don't worry. Someone else needs to take over. It's time for other people to serve. Just relax. Settle down. Don't don't be so involved. Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth said anything that makes us need God is really a blessing. So it doesn't matter if it's cancer or political unrest or a pandemic or money problems. Anything that comes into your life that brings you to your knees searching for God, that's a blessing. It brings you back to that posture of humility, of being a child in desperate need of their Heavenly Father's help. And oh, how we need other Christians to spur us on. Other Christians who have full coverts and the freedom to worship. We need those people. But we also need to be listening to our brothers and sisters around the globe who remind us that they need our prayers and they need our resources. I have a dear 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 friend of mine who I love and I was I've been so blessed to be able to work with her on some projects. And we often laugh and say in our old age we're going to get a job and she says she's going to work at a grocery store. I told her I'm going to be a barista and we're going to go to these jobs where we can talk to people just to sort of get out of the house, not because we need the money per se, but because we want to get out of the house and we want to be in a position where we can talk to people. And the idea is because we don't need the money, we could just use that money to support you know a seminary student who doesn't have the money to get through school or we could send it to a mission or we could find a a family who is really struggling in our midst and wouldn't it be amazing to save your paychecks for a month and bless a family with the finances that would be enough to push them through right i mean wouldn't that be amazing to be able to do that. And you know it would probably only take you know 4 hours a day or something like that. It would get us out of the house, it would get us into the community where we would be communicating with people who might not know the Lord. Who knows how God could use us. I just want to put this on your heart. 
to keep us all searching for ways to serve in God's kingdom and to keep us needing God. Every time I have a new experience and I go to a new place to do something new, I know that I need God. Every time I turn on this mic, I remind God how much I need him. I know that I can screw up a lot of stuff. I've done it many times in many ways. and I've had to many times ask for forgiveness. But let's not ever get to a point where we forget that we need God. And if you've sort of been in that in that spot because the kids have been healthy and your finances have been healthy and your house is paid for and you've got the retirement fund, step out and put yourself in a position to remind yourself that you still need God because you do. We all do every day of our life. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thanks for listening again this week. And don't forget, we're here for you. Check out the many resources we have to help you on your faith journey. Just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email that will keep you in the loop with all that we have available.